0: haven't checked in with the state representative Taki Chan of Quincy in a little bit, so time for another Tacky Talk. How are you, Tacky?
1: Hey, uh, good to see you again, Joe. I hope you had a wonderful Labor Day and a wonderful primary day.
0: Yes, indeed. Actually, we did see you on primary night. That's right. Thank you for joining us here for our coverage. Any uh, any surprises from uh, that that you, you thought?
1: Yeah, I had some uh, unsurety going into the election. As you guys may all guess, I, I enjoy the sport of watching other people's elections as much as any political uh animal and uh the polling uh, was tricky because of the fact uh quite frankly because nobody knew who was running i mean uh the undecideds uh for all the races was pretty substantial uh except maybe the lieutenant governor's race where kim driscoll clearly had a lead in the polls uh and secondly early voting had already began so polling late mm, people may not want to respond because you know they already early voted and um uh, you know, it was also just drumming up uh, the level of interest and in infrastructure. Uh, people uh, did not have that high level of financing you would in campaigns really other than, uh, uh, well, more Healy didn't have a primary, so ignore her. But I mean, Eric Lesser had uh, superior dollars against uh, her, his opponents and lost. Uh, Shan Lewis Relin uh, had superior dollars against his her opponents and lost um uh, Dempsey and De Zaglio were actually pretty close, but uh, I've always considered Zaglio to have a lot of political advantages is in this cycle, in the sense that, you know, she is a woman. Uh, she It is a woman's electoral cycle, as you can see by the results in the primaries. Uh, she um, had a competitive level of money. Uh, she had a union-based uh, campaign infrastructure. Doesn't guarantee anything, but, you know, she had some infrastructure. And Dempsey also had infrastructure through her network, his networks. Uh, and also the endorsement of the Boston mayor um, and Liz Warren, uh, in particular, you know, considered to be two people that are, are very influential in the Democratic Party. And uh, so does Sharon and Liz and have those same endorsements. And uh, we, what is uh, interesting is uh, two things I comment to people. One, in the primary, uh, getting a Boston endorsement is the death kneel uh, for any candidate outside of Boston uh, because we don't care what the Boston mayor thinks. Uh, It is the worst endorsement in my mind uh, to put on a regional television ad. Uh, And Liz Warren, uh, while uh, is still a very powerful senator electorally, I mean, you can't really beat her, uh, you know, didn't win the presidential primary uh, that March. Uh, Biden beat her in many places, including Quincy and Boston. And, uh, you know, there is a degree of um, falling star as a result of that, that now has become more apparent uh and you know, it's kind of interesting how those two. and then Chandler's written spent like 12 million bucks and more, well, for, most of it her own money too. Yeah, all of us wish you could just you know blow away cash like that, right? Uh, and uh, Andrea Campbell winning f- over 50% of the vote in a through a race is quite remarkable when she's facing a candidate that again, is heavily union backed, uh, superior funding. Uh, got in earlier than she did. And I know Quentin Powerfield left the campaign, uh, but he banned his campaign like five days before the primary. I mean right. a lot right. of early a lot votes. Of people cast. voted for yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Early votes cast. And and again, I mean, it's nice, but uh, it's a quirky time period for for that to happen. So, I mean, that was a very close watch race. I, you know, I I endorse Andrea Campbell and uh Dan Zaglio, uh, and uh you know very happy obviously with the result. And uh Andrea's little comment about being re-traumatized by the progressive/slash liberal wing of the party was actually an interesting statement, uh, taking a very subtle um uh, commentary about uh people's uh how do you put this? Uh you know who your friends are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. uh the lieutenant governor's race went pretty much where I expected. Uh, even though Eric Lesser had uh superior funding. Uh, I will give people a lesson on bad advertising, because I watch way too much TV and YouTube and watch all these political ads. Never put uh, at the bottom uh, attacking your opponent for taking Republican money, but you said you're endorsed by the Springfield Republican. (laughs) So you and I both know what the Springfield Republican is. And for those who are listening, have no idea what I'm talking about, unless you're from the region or you're really close to media. The Springfield Republican is the newspaper in Springfield that endorsed him, which is where he's coming out of. He's coming out. and But if you're on the east side of the state and you see for a Springfield Republican, you're attacking your opponent for collecting Republican money. That makes a head scratching moment.
0: Right, you don't understand. That's it's just the name of the newspaper it has nothing to do with the party affiliation. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is a classic lesson on not knowing what you're doing regarding yeah. advertising.
0: Well, yeah, being disconnected, I guess, with the the statewide electorate. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then that's just you know not good. And you know, he also wrapped his uh, arm around uh, Obama, President, former President Obama, like you know, it's like the uh, the uh, the easy way to carry you in an election. Mm-hmm. Like, Saw a, a similar maneuver uh, with, um, I think Dempsey did the same thing as well. So, you know, it's it's like, you gotta, again, you gotta live on your own name. You can't use it on, you can't get by elections and others.
0: Yeah. Speaking of spending, I mean, on the Republican side, speaking of spending your own money, Chris Doty spent a boatload uh, to no avail. Yeah. For some
1: context, uh, I actually came in election uh, as a state rep with, uh, Jeff Deal. So I'm not saying I know Jeff Deal well, but I do know how he works. Um, and we can save that comment for a different day, uh, but you he can guess by my smile that it's not It's not good. Um, I have met Cryptology a couple of times. I mean, it was actually a pretty good conversation. Mm-hmm. Very polite, uh, actually has good grasp of uh, knowledge of many things. Uh, like I said, I don't have to actually agree with everyone, but if I can understand what you're telling me, that's considered a a big thing in my mind. If I can, mm-hmm. you know, engage in conversation, I understand what you're trying to say to me, and um, you know, it actually was quite engaging uh, in the sense that I was like, "Hey, this guy actually makes some sense." Uh, don't agree, but it makes sense. So, uh, but again, I, I, I say the Republican universe is shrinking. Uh, voter restri- uh, registration, Republicans are down, uh, and his only hope was to try to lure uh, Republicans that went unenrolled or one Democrat to change the registration to unroll uh, to vote in this primary cycle, uh, which, again, is a very quiet cycle because the Democratic uh, nominee for governor has no opponent. Right. So, you know, it was a pretty uh, tall climb. And doing this type of targeted uh, voter get out on a statewide level, I mean, you need to get ready with this much, much sooner than and he did. I mean, the infrastructure involved, the voter identification, you're looking deep into trying to find um, number two and number three of uh, super likely voters uh, for uh, this election. Like we consider number ones, like super voter will always show up under any circumstances short of a nuclear attack and it probably will still show up. Right. Then you get the twos and threes who may or may not show up, but have been known to show up. And uh, he would have to identify not just Republicans, but also unenrolled voters that take Republican ballots. Right, right, and that takes a lot of
0: research, a lot of time, a lot of money.
1: Uh, exactly, and you got to drag them out. Uh, on those uh, twos, especially when it gets to the, th- the number three uh, voters. Uh, yeah, so. I think he was trying to appeal to
0: maybe people who supported Baker as, as you know the pragmatic alternative to Jeff Deal. Well,
1: huh. that would also require Democrats to change registration. Right. And that's also a different type of challenge as well to, to vote, to, to target. it. And he also had very unusual ads. He had TV ads targeting uh, more Healy right off the bat before yes. he won the nomination, which I found not smart. Uh, you you got to get out of the primary. So he spent money, frankly, on ads that actually did not uh, uh, impact his race because he never said to vote in the Republican primary. And this is one of the things that Republicans tend to do, and I think you've interviewed a few Republicans in your time, is they try to be, pretend to be Democrats. You know, uh, they'll they'll say all kinds of uh, interesting statements of, like, you know, I used to vote Democrat, but I can check your voting records, and I know what ballot you take in primaries. Right. And, uh, you know, we've seen this happen uh, as Democrats looking at ballots and, and, and the voter list, because I don't know who you vote for, but I know you take a Republican ballot mm-hmm. primary see it taking 20 years consecutive. I mean, you're going to vote Republican. I'm mm-hmm. Be confident you're going to vote Republican. Um, and uh, you have people, you know, swap around saying, you know, I voted for Biden for president, you know, things like that, you know, to try to like distance themselves from the Republican label. But you know, I, I still have the idea that, you know, you have it, you own it, you better own it. And, you yeah. know, my name's Tacky for beat sakes. I mean, you know, I do own it. Uh, it's I don't try to pretend to be anything else. Uh, like or hate me, that's what you got. And you saw that Shannon was reading. She, she did a terrible job in the Globe. Again, you got to own it. She made uh, hundreds and hundreds of million dollars uh, on these labor lawsuits around the country. And she didn't want to own it. She just had dodged and weave, And it was like awful to read it. In the globe. It's like, dude, you can't hide your money. That's right. It's it's right there in black and white. So just own up to it. Just own up to it. Just explain to the public how you make more money. We, you know, as an attorney, understands a contingency. You know, as an attorney, I do understand that you can take cases that will lose mm-hmm. because if you lose, you get no money. Your expenses are not recovered. But you know, it's also you know the articles about out there about her uh, getting her uh, settlement uh, rejected because uh, she was in it to get her own payday as opposed to taking care of her clients. I mean, th- those are not good articles, especially mm-hmm. doing, from an attorney standpoint. I mean. I I was really aghast on myself as an attorney because I was always brought up you work in the best interest of your client, um, and you you know it's going to work out and sometimes don't work out, uh, but you shouldn't be sitting there thinking about your payday. You should have considered this at the onset when you t- took the client on.
0: Let's uh, of course, uh, general election is November eighth uh,
1: coming up, and um, you do have a you have a Republican opponent, Jackie. I do indeed have a Republican opponent uh, right now. Uh, it's actually pretty quiet, I'm not gonna lie to you folks. Uh, <laughs> and I've been taught don't say other people's names on the air, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, quiet. I have been monitoring the situation. I have my eyes and ears in the street. You'd be surprised how many people in the street, uh, so to speak, have uh, informed me what's going on. And, you know, uh, you know if there's uh, this stage in the game, I mean, it's after Labor Day, you got six weeks, uh, unless you can demonstrate enormous amount of firepower in terms of financial resources, uh, to uh, get a message out, particularly the fact that my district is nearly 50% of the city by geography now after redistricting. And uh, I, uh, democratic registration, Quincy is still a uh, three to one in favor of Democrats against Republicans. I mean, you know, and they looked at my voter data from the past uh, three elections, uh, regarding finals and, um, most people don't realize that uh, when you vote blank, it means you're not voting for me. You're generally going to be a Republican or Republican leaning on the road. Uh, So, I mean, the ratios uh, in the 2020 election was my highest number of Democrat votes. I know it's a presidential year, but also same thing happened in 2018, the governor's year. I had the highest number of Democratic votes and it was, you know, easily three to one margin. So, you know, there's no guarantees in life, uh, but you guys will know I'm, I'm, I'm a numbers person on, on these calculations. Uh, and, you know, I do have my margins of error on figuring this stuff out. But you got to campaign accordingly uh, to uh, what you see out there based on what's going on your opponent. And you kind of have to really trust the numbers that you know how to do this math correctly. And uh, look at Bruce Ayers, for example. Bruce won his race uh, in the primary by seventy-eight percent of the vote was a smashing victory against a Democrat uh, coming from the left side of the party who was very much underfunded, uh, did not have uh, any lawn signs, but you could see uh, no bumper stickers, uh, no uh, mailers or advertising uh, did uh, some door knocking I hear, but did not do the vigorous level to do that. And he represents uh, 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 Quincy and half of Randolph. So he's got about, what, like one third of the city of Quincy and one half of Randolph. That's a lot of geography to cover. You need to start knocking doors back in April or March Mm -hmm. and and just don't stop. So, you know, I I think we can look at that as an example of, uh, a local example of, you know, uh, uh, incumbent in a superior uh, position on uh, campaign money, but also name recognition and resources uh, versus an individual who... uh, uh, well, put the effort in. At some level, uh, didn't quite have the right uh, number of resources and strategy uh, to to take Bruce on. Yeah, it, and it is a strategy. There is a there is a process,
0: uh, you know, to being to get, winning a, an elective office. It's not just handed to you.
1: Correct. And John Keenan's opponents coming out of Hanover. Right. Uh, I mean, it's Hanover. We're Quincy. This, this, this math ain't difficult, Peter. I see saying the numbers right there. Tell you, tell you the story. Yeah. Yeah, this ain't hard. The math, the math isn't that hard. So, you know, uh, I don't expect any changes of your state delegations, what I'm telling you. And I know Congressman Lynch had, uh, has a candidate as well, which I didn't even know that Congressman Lynch had an opponent until I saw the names on the primary election. Uh, the city has already put out printed out the primary election results on the raw numbers. And I was like, oh, there was a Republican primary. <laughs> I was like, you know, again, I mean, yeah, it, it, it You don't know, again it's out there, it, it puts you behind eight ball really quickly. Right. Uh, speaking of
0: numbers, we talk a little bit about the uh, state star surplus that I am reading just today. The auditor has certified as $2.64, $2.94 billion. Uh, so I guess that triggers the Chapter 62F law that would provide for some type of a rebate.
1: Yeah, let's do a little very short refresher. Uh, chapter sixty-two F of the general laws is, was approved by the voters back in nineteen eighty-six. That if the states, uh, if the state's taxes collected totally, all taxes collected, uh, exceeds the collective wages of the population together, so everyone, knows how much money you make, uh, and the taxes exceed that amount, uh, the voters get the difference. And the difference is about well, 3000000000 bucks. Let's just round to 3 billion for the sake of easy, easy not to talk about decimal points. So it's about $3 billion, right? Okay. So as a result, on the chapter 62F, uh, it triggers a tax credit. Now, before I get too excited, I have no idea how this is going to work because the last time we did this was 1987. So somebody at Department of Revenue was going to have to dust off a book from 1987 to find out how to utilize this. Why? I mean, someone's got to know, right? I mean, uh, I know it's analog, mostly in a book someplace, but someone's going to have to find that file. And once they do, we'll get you more information about how you're going to get your money. Um, But it pretty much uh, all the news articles and all the uh, third party economists and third party uh, watchdog budget groups and the legislature and the governor's office was pretty much spot on about 2.9 ish billion dollars. So it's, you know, we weren't that far off. Now, uh, what you get back is proportional to the amount of taxes you pay right seven percent I think is what I heard not entirely yeah not entirely clear what that means either right we all pay different amount of taxes right depending on our different incomes we have passive income active income capital gain you know you guys are what I'm talking about. you get these all these different types of situations that many, many of it doesn't apply to most of us in life so I'm not entirely clear how this will work um, I don't know if it's going to be part of next year's tax forms, which means you take a credit against your um, income. Is it something we're just going to give you like a rebate? You, you fill a form now, and we just give you a check. Uh, I I don't ask me yet. I don't know the answer okay. yet. Okay. But again, this affects our surplus. Uh, I know people think it's oh, we got a ton of money. We have just under seven billion dollars. Now just under three billion dollars is gone. Um, so that gives you like, ooh, you still have like you know. $4 billion dollars left. Well, we also uh, lost band five uh, to COVID payments, to sales tax uh, weekend, uh, sales tax-free weekend. And uh, people forget that the sales tax uh, is money goes to the MBTA and, and the School Building Assistance Fund. So because of inflation, sales tax went bonkers because of inflation. So that money never goes to the general fund. It's already diverted out. So over $1.5 billion is already out of here. So that leaves okay, you. Know, so now we're down to two and a half billion. <laughs> we're well, down to two and a half billion dollars. And, uh, you know, it's not really two and a half billion dollars either because, you know, another, um, um, you still have to pay off uh, regular bills, you know, that would be doing normally. So, you know, that leaves you another billion dollars off the table. So, <laughs> so yeah,
0: I know the, the speaker right now is very concerned about that. And that's why kind of put the brakes on the whole uh, economic development bill.
1: Yeah. Like we, you know, we paid for like the Holyoke settlement out of surplus funds. Right. I mean, you know, that's one to bring up that people, you know, need to understand. I mean, we, we do pay settlements. out. that's the biggest one. So surplus funds cover a lot of that amount of money. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 not everything the feds cover is COVID. I mean, there's differentials and don't ask me which was which, but I mean, you know, uh, the feds didn't pick up the whole thing. So, you know, we frankly, we had surplus to cover that as well. And uh, any kind of tax cut, tax break, tax reductions, we can't use opera money to fill the hole. Oh, OK. Right. That was one of the contingencies. That's right. I recall that. Yep. Yeah. They don't care if it's a chapter 62 F or we lower taxes uh, through a vote of the legislature. You cannot use opera money to fill holes, period. So um, that, that option's closed to us. So. You know, it it, uh, it it sounds a lot like a lot of money, but, you know, you shave off the first, you know, 4.5 billion, that leaves you, um, yeah, that leaves you like, you know, about two billion and a half. And it's not really two billion and a half because you had to shave off another billion in terms of just paying bills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, yeah, it qu-
0: quickly goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing how you think you have a lot of money it's not there. Right. And the tax package we have proposed uh, in the legislature and the governor was going to sign. Actually, actually, is more beneficial than sixty-two F because it really targets people. And you, actually, not me as much, but it really targets your na- my neighbors, more than anywhere else. You know that you know rental deduction, child uh, child care, uh, care deduction. Um, you know, increasing the, the senior circuit, uh, senior citizen circuit breaker money, um, uh, the earned income uh, child tax credit adjustment, mm-hmm. increase that. Um, and what was the, I keep forgetting the fifth one uh, for some reason. But, uh, you know, they're, they're all more towards uh, middle and uh, working class folks, you know, right. that could use a little help, especially younger folks that need help on, on rental assistance, for, you know, and things like that. So, I mean, I get the 62F. Everyone's getting, well, only if you pay taxes, you're going to get something out of it. Uh, but, you know, I, I always thought that our tax package is more generous. Could we have suspended Chapter for 62 F? Yes, it has been done before. They have oh, actually, okay. they've actually have uh, uh, changed it around a few different times over the years, but never changed it permanently. Uh, but even then, it never triggered. Even the changes in the past never uh, would never have triggered it. Even did they make the changes? It was a precautionary issue. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's where we are. So yeah, yeah. everyone's getting get their credit, and uh, we're going to ride this out to see uh how this uh, economic slowdown is going to go uh, uh people i still truly believe that people are going to rein in spending are uh, starting right now going into the winter i really believe that
0: that they're raining in spending
1: yeah i think people are going to save money and they're going to be much more uh, uh efficient about how they uh, spend their dollars as inflation has yeah. hurt everyone i still think people are gonna be working home if you're why I call a job particularly as any kind of remote work, uh, you're going to be likely working from home, uh, which will impact uh, businesses in downtown and other places like that, that, uh, you know, need your dollars to keep their business going. Um, And, uh, you know, and I think people are going to travel less. I think you see, you know, a spike in travel around around, uh, the holiday season again. But like last year, people travel heavily around Thanksgiving, but, you know, really it was light travel around Christmas. Yeah, you know, relative to the other years. And, you know, I don't expect this mass exodus Columbus Columbus Day weekend.
0: No, I think there'll be a lot of local uh, uh, staycations, if you will, you know, local destinations. But as in terms of national or international travel, that still hasn't come back.
1: Yes. And uh, gas prices have dropped uh, a lot uh, since the height of all close to five bucks. You know, we're down to, in the 339 to like the 359 zone. You know, maybe like, you know, 380, 390 if you're in downtown Boston where you have nowhere to go and they're kind of gouging you a little. But, I mean, most suburban communities are looking under 360 uh, for now. Um, so the gas prices are reflective of reduction of consumer usage. Mm-hmm. You know, less people drive, uh, obviously, the less uh, gas uh, prices drop. Obviously, uh, the closures in China has a huge impact on energy prices because uh, when they shut in 300 million people in their homes, you know, people aren't driving, you're not using public transit. Uh, it's a huge uh, fossil fuel driven economy um, and uh, they're not burning fossil fuels. So, you know, other than you know, obviously electricity, they have a different problem regarding electricity. Uh, but, uh, you know, that actually impacts our gas prices when you shut down as many people as the United States has. It obviously has a global impact in Again, uh, energy markets aren't driven by day up. It's energy speculation and long term investments. Right, so, it's futures trading, right? Yeah. Futures trading. So people are hedging against the future by buying commodities now, like mm-hmm. oil and gas. So, uh, you know, with the constant talk of recession and hyperinflation, and every country on the planet has hyperinflation, um, you know, I mean, Turkey's what one hundred twenty two percent inflation and is it really? Wow. Yeah, sure. Sri Lanka is in the in the midst of an economic meltdown, so that I wouldn't count that as inflation. It's just crisis, uh, crisis prices. Um, you know, speculative people looking at commodities and trying to figure out, you know, if the commodity goes go, go up or go down. And trading is now uh, down uh, in the energy sector. Um, and this winter comes, and uh, you know, some Russians are looking to close off gas to. European countries as a result of the Ukraine war and European countries doing a massive, massive, massive uh, reduction of energy consumption in general in response to the Ukraine war. I mean, the energy markets are not very stable. Right. Uh, that
0: and technologies are, I think, the two areas that are going to be most volatile going forward.
1: Yeah, technology uh, speculation on the market, it's not really less. I mean, there's a lot more day trading and things like that. I mean, a lot of us was COVID-driven. Mm-hmm. And when COVID started to lift globally, uh, these technologies, uh, you know, didn't have the same valuation uh, as people kind of change how they operate. And uh, you know, you and I, as consumers, actually do drive a lot of how stock prices work, depending on what the product is. And you know, tech is definitely one of the places that uh, we have enormous impact because it is a, you know, a lot of it's really consumer goods. Mm-hmm. So those of you looking for you know PlayStation Five, you know when I was having a whole lot of problems because you know supply chain assembly and all that stuff getting it to you. Uh, uh, but I mean now that supply has, you know increased, you know the uh, you know the, the valuation of Sony's division of uh, the PlayStation shifts as well, right? Right. Uh, it looks like Marty Walsh uh, was able to negotiate uh, the uh, uh, railway union um there were nine railway unions out there that actually moved your goods i think like almost 60 or 70 percent of all goods is still shipped by rail some enormous number and two of the unions were having problems with contract and uh biden uh, the president biden uh, sent uh, marty walsh and a whole slew of other people <laughs> to to uh, to talk to these unions to try to figure out how to get them to agree to this contract so the, the light broke today and uh, that will not create another supply chain interruption that will also jack up prices, right? Exactly. Um, can we talk a bit, Taki, about your
0: experience uh, dealing with the federal student loan forgiveness and yeah, how to navigate
1: I, I, that? Well, I've talked to you this one one time on uh, this uh, show. Now I am still among those that pay student loans. I am on uh, the twenty thirty three plan, <laughs> so I do know your pain. I do also understand. I'm a lot older. Uh, so I don't have the size of the student loans that a lot of you know, younger folks have picked up, particularly the last 10 years, um, the size of the tuitions. Uh, so a little bit of reveal. Uh, the federal government has a lot of different programs for different types of loan forgiveness. The most two of the ones are most well known is the public service loan forgiveness and the teacher loan forgiveness. And the public service loan forgiveness includes working for not for profits. We do 10 uh, consecutive years. But 10 years somehow even just breaks in service because this doesn't be consecutive you can get your loans potentially forgiven or credited it's weird uh, and the teachers and the uh, public service slash not-for-profit actually has very very low participation because uh it was done during the george w bush administration and uh back in 2006 implement 2007 and it never quite actually did anything because it was too onerous for people to implement so the Biden administration has now reissued that program to streamline its application, God forbid you have applications, you understand, and to uh, give people an opportunity to, to take advantage of these uh, programs and actually look back in time. So if you work for not-for-profit, you're a teacher or you work in any government sector that's not a member of Congress, member of Congress is exempt from this, I'm pretty sure other than congressman lynch uh, senator warren and uh, and uh, senator markey who is in our district you know they'd only three day qualify uh, if you work in those sectors um you know definitely explore doing that um one of the problems of that and you know the forbearance you saw uh this pandemic and uh, and uh, no zero interest loans during the pandemic uh you know suspended interest um I don't qualify for that because I have Stafford loans. So 1962 to 2010, there was a Stafford loan program. I'm pretty sure anyone in my age bracket knows what I'm talking about, where you are uh, have loans held by a private bank, but federally backed. Right. Meaning that uh, as a student, I have zero credit, right? You, you're, you're 19, 18, 17 years old. You have no credit. I mean, right. I didn't have a credit card back then. I mean, I'm that old. I mean, I'm not that old, but I mean, I'm old enough. You know, I never, I couldn't get a credit card. So I, you know, as you can imagine, you're a teenager, you have no credit. It's not like today we can get almost every kid has some ability to create credit through a credit card or, or other means. So, um, so yes, I had my, had my loans were federally backed uh, back in the Brandeis days. And, uh, you know, I've been carrying those loans since college plus law school. I did a reconsolidation because I had a variable interest rate loan. For those who remember, you know, paying loans at eight, six, seven, sometimes nine percent because those variable rates. So every month was an adventure. What mm-hmm. <laughs> the variable rate was. Um, and I took a fixed rate um, when it came out of law school in 2003 for 30 years. But again, it was all privately owned staffer loans. So I did not qualify for any of the pandemic assistance. And I did not qualify for, um, the public service program when it first came out in 2007. So the Biden administration has announced several things this past year, and the most recent one about larger forgiveness. One, if you so desire, you can actually take your private loans uh, that is federally backed, not private Citibank or Bank of America loans, like federally backed loans, like Stafford loans. And uh, you could, the federal government will take those. You You can transfer them into the federal government, a loan program with a student a.gov uh, that are uh, federally uh, operated, and uh, but you have to reconsolidate again. Oh, okay. That's the kicker. So, depending where you are on the uh, payment scale of your current privately held federally backed loans, uh, you have to think carefully when you want to reconsolidate.
0: Oh, so basically reset the clock. Reset the clock. Okay.
1: okay. However. If you reset the clock and you, you have the the monies uh, with the federal government now, uh, you can now apply for all these forgivenesses. You may get it. You may not get it. There's right. no guarantee you're going to get it. That's okay. the risk. Okay. Now, The most recent announcement by administration uh, regarding the forgiveness of $10,000 and uh, potentially $10,000 for Pell Grants uh, will l- most likely apply to pretty much every loan held by the federal government. Oh, okay. And they're trying to figure out how to do it for like the Stafford loans, and the answer was they don't know how to do it because they're privately held, which means they have to give money directly to privately held banks uh, to pay for your loans, which is a different kettle of problems. Doesn't it's actually not that simple where they the Fed just hand checks out to banks and just say, hey, you know, it's it it doesn't work though. It's much harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's my advice? My advice is go to studentaid.gov, make an account, and check uh, what student loans you have, uh, where they are. Um, And also, uh, the uh, Biden administration is giving $10,000 forgiveness, plus another $10,000 if you ever received a Pell Grant.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: So all that information, I found to my surprise, is on studentaid.gov. Good to know. Okay. Uh, all your, all your loans, uh, all your grants. And I actually be up upfront of everybody. I did get a Pell Grant in 1994 that I didn't know I got because it's 1994 because I don't remember ever getting a Pell Grant from 94 because it's 94. Right.
0: And the grants typically went right to the institution. So you might not be aware of it
1: anyway. Right. Uh, that's hundred percent correct. I never yeah. got with that in my pocket. It went straight to the institution. So uh, I I decided to take the chance and uh, try to figure it out. So I did call the hotline that's on the website. Uh, the automated system is awful, yeah. um, but, you know, through a whole lot of patience and setting time a big chunk of my day, I got to human being and then human being gave me options of pros and cons of reconsolidation or not. And I was very interested in fact that I'm not interested in paying to um like 80. Um because I'd like to get this over with. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I mm-hmm. A lot of money in already. Right. Uh, a right. lot of money has gone into this
0: already. Right. No, if you're, you know, a newbie basically and just started out, it, it might be worth your time. But in your situation, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've given him a lot of money at this yeah. point. Uh so um, you know, the opportunity of re uh, reveal re taking rolling the dice and re review about what I call out of public service uh, forgiveness. Uh, and whether or not I fit in the category of the uh, program, most likely the program will happen, but whether I fit in the category of the program Grant slash uh, general convenience uh, by Joe Biden, I thought it was worth rolling the dice. Because mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a private loan holder going into the public system, it's a little bit different if you've always been in the public system, the mm-hmm. loans. So I'm taking a chance, folks, rolling the dice and hope this works out. Okay, uh, all right. If not, I'm paying an extra 30 years. <laughs> I was just going to say, pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's up to everyone to decide on your own uh, what you're, if you're going to roll that dice. And I know everybody's different financial situation and I right. know everybody's in a different spot in the volume. Um, and I would have a different opinions. I mean, I said before, I have very mixed response to this because I paid so many years. I mean, I paid 27 years deep already, people. I mean, it's not like I, I've not missed one payment. My credit score is incredible because I know I missed a payment on my student loans. Because uh, that that is the biggest single... Uh, thing that builds credit is your student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, roll the dice, hope for the best. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If it works out, it works out. I just don't know what to say, but I'm rolling dice now uh, to see what right. happens.
0: Good luck with that. I hope it works out for you, Jackie.
1: Yeah, but I strongly advise, everyone should try to take a look at, see what you got. Um, there's supposed to be applications coming out later this month or early next month, I think. Okay. to apply for this. Uh, and uh, you have to, I believe, end of next year. And you're curious what tax forms they're going to look at, they're going to look at your 2020 tax forms and your 2021 tax forms. Okay. So your income of $125,000 adjusted gross income as a single person, I believe, was it 250 or 150, 150 for couples? I'm not married, so you keep forgetting what the couple one is. Yeah. Okay. But but it's looking at adjusted gross income.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. So it's studentaid.gov. Studentaid.gov. Speaking of interest rates, um, is there any mechanism in state law that uh requires banks to pay a certain amount of interest based on the prevailing rates for savings?
1: No. Okay. No, I mean the, the banks uh obviously uh, make money on loans, right? I mean they they get the they get the interest rate. Um uh they make money on interest. I mean, that's that's what they do. Yeah. Uh well you're wondering how come your interest hasn't gone up uh on your savings are a lot
0: of other people are wondering that too, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, when, the, when the rate goes up, uh, those are based on loan out money, not how much we make in terms of interest rate. So uh, it's kind of an interesting quandary where when interest rate was low, the banks were making money, but it was kind of a weird situation, it was volume driven, right? Mm-hmm. The more you mm-hmm. have out, the... But as interest rates go up, it's now less volume driven, and it's it's the whatever bank math calculation of how they need to make money, will drive regarding how much they can, um, you know, how the government loans are going to work out. Mm. Uh, You know, we as depositors, uh, as 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 CD holders, you know, or want to be CD holders, you know, look at and try to. They try to, you know, get us back some money so we keep our money at their banks as opposed to going to know the bank. So we kind of get a little cut of the action, so to speak, of every loan that goes out of their profits. And that's what drives those interest rates. Okay. Uh, now, where those thing, interest rates go up? Well, I think it also depends on how many loans go out. Right. Uh, how long yeah. this continues. Do I think interest rates on your savings and CDs will go up? I think it, it may have to go up at some point because, you know, the banks want to keep their liquid capital available uh just to deal with their business uh, with this kind of like unstable market. So at some point they're gonna have to like, tick up your interest a little bit um, just incentivize you to stay with your bank because if you go online and, and do online banks or mm-hmm. the ones I mean there is a whole lot of offers suddenly popping up really fast about you know 500 if you can deposit 20 grand uh, yes. well, interest rates at you know 1.5 is you're stuck at 0. 0.1. Uh, you know, there's a lot of offers out there.
0: Yes. And, they, you know, they are able to compete. They don't have the overhead that brick and mortar uh, banks do. So I'm sure that's that's a plus. But you do need to be aware of fees and, um, you know, different limits on accounts, things like that.
1: Yeah. You'd have to read the food disclosure, uh, but you also want to make sure the FDIC insured. Right. Yep. Very important. FDIC insured. And, and, you know, Citibank and Discover Card and those guys will be FDIC, FID insured. But you definitely should take a look at, you know, all the uh, pros and cons associated with these kind of uh, online banks. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be very competitive, I think, going to the fall. And I think CD rates will have to go up at some level because people are going to start migrating their money.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, trying to trying to hedge some of the inflation, at least, you know, you never get ahead of it, but at least try and limit your losses.
1: And you're also watching to see if the Fed's do any more. I mean, I do expect to at least another, you know, 0.75%. Uh, rate hike uh, coming soon going to the winter. Uh, the last quarter the economy contracted about 0.5%. Uh, the projection for contraction was 0.9%. Yeah. So this is what we're talking about the soft recession landing and uh, no one's ever seen the scenario before which is why everyone is so afraid of trying to figure out how to thread this needle because there's no historical precedent. Economists only know as much as past economic models. The economic model we're living in the last two years does not exist. Right, yeah, we're rewriting the book essentially, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, as I said before, we're gonna have a relatively low unemployment. We're not gonna see nine percent unemployment from this economic slowdown. Uh, we're gonna have huge inflation during the economic slowdown and hopefully the inflation will go down as it slows down. But uh, you know, at the same time, though, we don't want to see uh, you know huge negative numbers uh, on a recession. So technically, we are in a recession, but you're not seeing it. It's it's really bizarre. And you know, most recessions, other than dot boom, I think everything but two recessions were driven by the financial industry. This is not an industry industry financial industry driven recession. This is a, a government created recession, um, and it's it's very very different. Uh, as uh, you know, as the news media, because we are we are influenced by news media. I mean, I, I, we all are. That's just a fact. So, as the news media keeps talking about, you know, high energy prices are coming, hyperinflation, you know, uh, the money, amount of money coming in your pocket, which everybody knows that. Uh, you know, interest rates going up is going to slow you know, slow down the economy. I mean, we literally uh, uh, talk about a prediction, and uh, collectively as a people, we're fulfilling the prophecy.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. and it's, not, it's weird. It's not a conscious act of one person, it's a conscious act of all of us as a collective.
0: Yeah. But the, the most interesting part is that uh, it's still everybody's working. So it's very
1: low unemployment. Um, you know, typically you don't see that in a recession. I'd be shocked to see unemployment tick about 5%. I'd be mm. absolutely shocked. And, and one of the interesting things about uh, unemployment is that it's the pool of workers that are out there. So believe it or not, uh, unemployment is not always unhealthy. And, and mm-hmm. you see it now. Why it's not unhealthy? You always want to have a pool of workers always moving around. It doesn't matter if it's white collar, blue collar. It doesn't matter. They, they, there's a, a need to always fill a job somewhere. And if uh, you have a an a employment rate with this constant cycling of people coming off and on of unemployment, it means that there's a labor workforce available as jobs open up. Mm-hmm. But when you have really low unemployment. The people left to unemployment are mostly the, uh, folks that are un- unemployable because it's so outdated they can't fit anywhere, which is yeah. sadly true, or, or folks that are just in this mirror of, of being unemployed. And then you got a whole set of folks who do not appear in statistics as being unemployed because they're not um, collecting unemployment. Mm-hmm. That includes retirees. Mm-hmm. Retirees mm-hmm. are not calculated as part of unemployment. Right. Persons yeah. with a certain um, health conditions are not considered part of unemployment. So there's a whole segment that of a not employable workforce because of, obviously, retirement uh, or some other conditions that make them unemployable, uh, generally it's physical or, or mental health related. So yeah. Yeah. that's just that's just
0: fact, folks. That's how it works. Yeah. I mean, we can't ignore the fact, too, that a lot of people
1: have died <laughs> during this pandemic and that impacts the workforce. Yeah, but 1.1 million people have passed away. Massachusetts, I think we crossed, what, the, the, like, forgot at this point. It's, it's been so...
0: Over 20,000, I
1: think. Yeah, no, it's been... And you factor in heart disease, cancer, and everything mm-hmm. else that normally kills us. Heart disease is still the number one killer. Cancer is number two as a collective cancer mm-hmm. uh, word. Um, and only two-thirds-ish of the people died were uh, retirement age. Uh, and even then, of the retirement age group, they were also still working. I mean, the mm-hmm. so-called you know, stereotype of the Walmart reader, right? Uh, you know, there are people working you know, longer in the workforce because of the COVID recession destroyed people's uh, privately held pensions. Basically, 401ks got wiped out. It took, you know, up to 2021 for all to recover. I mean, it's true. When you look at the numbers, it's like, it's clear that you've got full recovery by 2021. So it took that long for folks that were banking on those, you know, privately held, uh, self-invested uh, pensions. Um and yeah, that means you have two thirds of the workforce in the case of America, the United States. You know, 300,000 plus people were lost from the workforce due to death by COVID, not mm-hmm. counting all the other um, natural causes that kill us. Um, you know, eating healthy and paying attention to your doctors, you know, have a lot of value beyond just COVID, right? And so, you know, Massachusetts, you look at, you know, 20,000 people, that's a workforce shortage of 7,000 folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a third of them, exactly uh out of time again this week tacky but uh here's where we ask you to uh, put out your information so folks can get a hold of you
1: sure uh, obviously you can email me at tacky.chan at mahouse.gov t-a-c-k-e-y dot c-h-a-n at mahouse.gov uh, i can actually see emails changing that it's a lot less cluttered than it was uh even going into august uh and we do read them uh people with constituent concerns get priority if you got a policy issue i do read your policy issues and we do track them so uh, you have not been ignored. I can't remember every single name. There's a lot of them. Um, but, you know, uh, I do pay attention. Uh, State Representative uh, Tacky Chan Facebook page. Uh, we do post up uh, useful information, some information on what's going on, in my comings and goings uh, in my work capacity. Um, but, you know, it's a can be useful too. Tacky org is a work in progress. Me and the staff are trying to figure out how to do this massive update and uh, we're going to have another meeting. To talk about it some more and update some information. um And of course, uh, I got a Twitter account at Tacky Chan. I still don't understand Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I can be it, uh, but I mean, we do again similarly how we post on Facebook. We do the same thing on Twitter. Some information. I do look at it. You know, it's you guys know what it's like it's a lot of just commentary, and yeah I don't know why people write some things. It's not good manners. Um, we'll just leave it at that, um, you know, and, you know, but I do advise people to call the office, 722-2370-617-722-2370. Uh, mash a button and get a, if no one picks up mash a button, goes to voicemail and somebody the office will pick it up and we'll write, person get back to you. But for, please, please, please leave us a phone number. This is now happening again and people just call and they want to call, we call you back or someone office to call you back. But they don't leave a phone number. I can't call you back. We don't have a phone number, please. There's no magic involved here. <laughs> no, we don't have a caller ID system. Right. I think that's what's driving some of this because people caller ID. And you can kind of like figure out by a timestamp of the voicemail and a timestamp on your call ID uh, that uh, you can figure out you know which number it is. But that's not how it works at the office. I don't have caller ID. Uh, so people just leave a message. I mean, again, we're living in the age of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So people now, uh, it's a habit issue. So people get upset at us, like, well, I haven't heard from you.
0: I know. its it, it, They're just assuming that you have the record of the phone call because, yeah, it's, it's cellular technology, but we're talking about a regular office phone here.
1: <laughs> That's correct. So, I mean, it's one of those quirky things as, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, regarding constituent services, these type of things of getting back to people. but. It is remarkable how, you know, back in the day when, you know, when we literally didn't have, um, you know, any kind of call ID service, it was just a phone on a desk. Mm -hmm. Very, very basic. Yeah, with a cassette tape in the machine, right? (laughs) Yeah, people usually leave phone numbers and such. Right. But when they call the office and you leave a message of, you know, whoever picks over the phone, you know, they, you know, we always ask, you know, could you please give me a phone number? Uh, or they just give it to us. They don't even like, we don't have to ask for it. It's, you know, just give it to us. We wrote it down and hand it off to the proper staff person. We hand it off to, to then, you know, Senator Morrissey, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's just it's just weird. I mean, it's one of those things I've noticed over time has changed it's our behavior. It's a generational thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, you do this long enough. You, you know, my observations of human behavior is slightly different than others. Appreciate it, Taiki. Always good to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Absolutely, Joe. Uh, enjoy. Always enjoy these chats, and we'll we'll talk again soon.